is uh, part two of our new series, What Does It Mean to Follow Jesus? And you notice that the title is, of uh, the message specifically, is it's personal. It really is personal. I mean, following Jesus really is personal, isn't it? Because I can't follow Jesus for you, and you can't follow Jesus for me. So it is, in fact, personal. Bible teacher and author K. Arthur said this, if you do not plan to live the Christian life totally committed to knowing your God and walking in obedience to Him, then don't even begin. For this is what Christianity is all about. It is a change of citizenship, a change of governments, a change of allegiance. And if you have no intentions of letting Christ rule your life, then forget Christianity. It's not for you. Now, that's a pretty strong message, isn't it? I mean, that's a pretty strong statement she makes there. But the truth is, it's consistent with the message that Jesus himself made uh, to us. And that message was that if you're going to follow me, you have to sell out. Total commitment is the call. And tragically today, many people want the title of, of Christian or they want the title of a follower of Christ, but they don't want the associated commitment with that. It's kind of like a story that uh, I heard about a college student who walked into a photography studio with a, a framed picture of his girlfriend. And he, he wanted the picture duplicated, and so obviously it involved taking the picture out of the frame. And so in doing that, taking the picture out, uh, the owner of the studio happened to notice on the back of the picture there was an inscription written by the girl, and it said this, My dearest Tom, I love you with all my heart. I love you more and more each day. I will love you forever and ever. I am yours for all eternity. It was signed Helen. And then it contained a P.S. If we ever break up, I want this picture back. Well, that's what you call a qualified kind of commitment, isn't it? But Jesus doesn't call us to that kind of commitment. He calls us to a personal unqualified commitment that says, whatever, I'm in. And today's passage uh, helps us understand this whole idea about personally following Jesus. Look with me, if you will, beginning in verse 15 of our passage this morning. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he, that is Jesus, said to show about what kind of death uh, Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them the one who had also leaned back against him, that is Jesus, during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? 
And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Father, I pray this morning that through your Holy Spirit and your Holy Word, that you will speak to us. Father, you will confront and you will convict and you will challenge. And most of all, Father, you will use your truth to change us. Lord, cause us right now to be undistracted by anything that's going on in our lives, anything around us. And Father, would you focus our hearts and our minds upon your word. I pray, Father, that you will empty me of me. And Father, speak through me with your Holy Spirit. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord my God, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this passage is connected with the third appearance of Jesus after his resurrection. So this is the third time he had appeared to his followers, all right? And what's interesting about this particular one is it has a a deeper level of intimacy that we see. Uh, It's it's a heartwarming kind of encounter. Let me back up and give you some context. What has just happened is, of course, Jesus has has risen from the grave. He's appeared to the disciples, but they're still in a kind of a funk, you know? They're still kind of discouraged. They're still kind of depressed. And so they decide to go fishing. That's what they did. They knew how to do that, and so they decided to go fishing, I guess, to get their mind off of everything that had transpired, both good and, and bad, and, and so they're fishing. They're, and they, and by the way, they didn't catch anything. It had been a, another poor night of fishing until Jesus shows up. And so they're out there fishing, and suddenly there's a guy standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he, he waves and he calls out and says, uh, My children! It's a term of endearment uh, in the Greek. And he says, my children, it's Jesus. And they recognize, suddenly when he calls out, they recognize, that's Jesus. And the Bible says Peter got so excited that he jumps in the water. He didn't even wait for the boat to come back in. He just jumps overboard and swims to shore where Jesus is. The rest of the disciples come on in, and, and to, uh, as they get there, they, they find out that Jesus was not only waiting for them, he was cooking breakfast for them. There's a fire there, and there's fish uh, on the, the, the fire, and Jesus is going to share this, this fellowship meal, this fellowship kind of breakfast uh, with uh, those who were closest to him. And so it has this, this kind of uh, uh, endearing uh, setting. It's, a, it's a, an encounter that's kind of heartwarming. And then they get into some discussion, and in particular what we see is this kind of a serious discussion that Jesus begins having with, with Peter. And he asked him, you know, these questions that we'll look at here in just a moment. But it's in this setting that we see Jesus calling not just Peter, but really all who would follow him to a deeper personal level of commitment. And this morning what I want to do is I want to th- show you three things about following Jesus that have a, a, a personal implications for our life. Here's the first thing that we get from the passage in verses 15 to 17 that Jesus issues this purposeful challenge for Peter or to Peter. This purposeful challenge. Now think again, verses 15 17, Peter, do you love me? Y- yes, Lord. Peter, Do you love me? 
Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. I love you. And with each of those questions, and each time Peter responds in the affirmative, Jesus says then, first of all, he says, and feed my sheep. Then secondly, he says, tend my lambs, which is a completely different word in the Greek. It's poimen. I'll talk about it in just a second. And then he says again, in the last instance, feed my sheep. And Peter gets a little bit exasperated because he says, Lord, you know, you know everything. You know whether or not I love you. And, and you know that I do. Jesus, here's what Jesus is doing. He's not trying to be convinced by Peter, right? Because Peter knows he knows. What he's trying to do is make sure Peter gets it. Peter, do you know? And hang with me now because I'm going to share why that's important in just a, just a bit. But there's this strong challenge to Peter, and the challenge relates to the purpose for which God is going to use Peter. You see, following Jesus always involves fulfilling the purpose that God has for your life. It always involves the purpose. All of us are here on purpose. All of us are here with purpose. Y'all hang on just a second. All of us are here uh, with purpose uh, and because we've been designed that way. That's why we're unique. And following Jesus involves fulfilling uh, our God-designed purpose. And that's what part of what's going here. So Jesus gives this challenge to Peter that involves his purpose. John MacArthur has written and said this, the Christian life is not adding Jesus to one's own way of life, but it's renouncing the personal way of life for Jesus's way of life and being willing to pay whatever cost that that way of life may require. One of the most powerful life concepts is to know the purpose for which God created you. In fact, you might just say it this way, one of the most powerful truths uh, that you can ever uh, 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 understand in your life is why you are here. Why did God put you here? What is the purpose of your existence? There are no accidents with God. None of us in this room, none of who are listening to us by live stream and television are accidents. You are here on purpose. You have purpose. And Jesus wants you to understand your purpose because that will make all the difference both in eternity and right now in your life in terms of being fulfilled and understanding why you exist. One of golf's immortal moments occurred when the, golf, when the game was being introduced here in America and there was a Scotsman and he was going to show President Ulysses S. Grant the new game, the new game of golf. And so he puts a ball on a tee and he's trying to explain to the president uh, that you swing as hard as you can. And so when he did, he swung as hard as he could. He completely missed the ball. He hit nothing but earth, and it sprayed uh, uh, dirt and mud all over the beard of the president and all the people that were surrounding. Well, that wasn't uh, the end. He continued to try to swing, and he swung six more times, and he missed every time. The ball was never faced. And finally, the president, having waited patiently and having dirt and mud all over him from the, the Scotsman who was swinging, finally said this kind of quietly. He said, well, there seems to be a fair amount of exercise involved in this game. But he said, I fail to see the purpose in the ball. <laughs> you know, living your life without purpose, the purpose for which God created, is like never making contact with the ball that's been put in front of you. Living your life without understanding God's purpose, it's just like, it, it's like whiffing. It's like missing completely. 
Life without the purpose of God reduces, to what, what, uh, reduces us to what some people want to call just cosmic survivalists. In other words, we're just trying to make it through. It's kind of like a bumper sticker I saw years ago in St. Petersburg when I passed her down there on the back of a car. Uh, and it says, he who dies with the most toys wins. Life without purpose just becomes that kind of thing, doesn't it? And it's kind of like what Macbeth in Shakespeare's Macbeth said about life. He, he said that, that life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. This is what life is like, you see, if we're not created by God and created for God's purpose. And so Jesus gives Peter this purposeful challenge. And essentially, here's what he says. Peter, I've got these two, two missions for you. Here they are, feed my sheep and tend my lambs. Peter, that's what I'm, I'm calling you to. That's what I've designed you for. And that would be so important because of Peter's role in helping to found the early church that would come uh, in the, the weeks ahead. And, and Jesus is saying to him, I want you to understand what your task is. I want you to know what your mission is. And your mission is to feed my sheep. By the way, the Greek word there means to like instruct them, to feed them. It's just like you would take and say, well, this animal needs food. If it doesn't get it, it's not going to survive. It's not going to grow. What is he saying? Peter, you've got to instruct the sheep. The sheep, and he had no idea what that meant at that moment, but he would. Peter, I want you to instruct the sheep, the flock of God. And then he uses the second word, poimain in the Greek. It's a word we get pastor from. And it's the idea of protect and watch over and care for. And he says, Peter, so what I want you to do is I want you to instruct the sheep, and then I want you to lead the sheep. Feed the sheep, lead the sheep. This is, this is your purpose. This is your mission ahead. You see, your ability to discover God's purpose makes all the difference in the world for your life, but also for the lives of others. And listen to this. This is important to understand. God's purpose for your life is tied to your love for God. God's purpose for your life is tied to your love for God. Now, now hang with me. I want to show you what I mean by that. You see, in each of these statements, when he said, Peter, uh, if you're going to feed my sheep, I need to know, do you love me? Peter, if you're going to tend my lambs, I need to know, do you love me? Peter, if you're going to feed the sheep, I need to know, do you love me? Now, as I said before, Jesus wasn't needing so much the affirmation of Peter's, yes, Lord, I love you, yes, Lord. But he was trying to help Peter understand something. Peter, you can't do the, the, the mission that I am handing to you if you don't love me because it's going to get tough. In fact, in time, if you are not serving me from love, your heart will grow cold and your heart will grow hard and it will be, become too difficult for you and Jesus knew what was ahead. In fact, he goes on and tells Peter this. He says, in fact, Peter, let me just tell you how you're going to die. How would you like for Jesus to say, I'm going to just sit down and tell you how you're going to die? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, I'd prefer not to. But he did. Jesus tells him, now, Peter, here's what's, here's what's going to happen. Here's how you're going to die. And so that's why you need to know that you must serve me out of love for me. Because if you don't love me, when it gets tough, guess what you'll do? You'll bail out. Uh, when it gets hard, you'll bail out. Your, your heart will grow cold. And if your heart grows cold, you'll have trouble living out the mission. In fact, the truth is there are some of you who are watching today and some of you in this building, your heart has grown cold. 
And you didn't want it to grow cold, but listen, you kind of fell out of love with Jesus. While I was away on sabbatical, I was working on another sermon series that I'll bring down the road on the seven churches in Revelation. And one of the churches had a problem. You know what their big problem was? They'd lost their first love. It's easy to do, and it's usually not intentional. We usually don't set out to say, you know, in a certain amount of time, I'm going to just fall out of love with Jesus. But we do. Our hearts become cold and hard. And it's because there's this war going on. There's this battle for our affection. Did you know there's a battle for your affection? The enemy of this world wants to rob your heart. He doesn't want you loving God. Why do you think Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because he under Jesus knows something. This is what he's trying to help Peter understand. This is what we must understand. That if we're going to serve God, we have to do it out of a heart that is in love with Jesus. You say, but yeah, my heart's grown cold. My heart's grown hard. You know, one of the things I love about new Christians is their heart is so tender to, to the Lord. And they're so in love. You can just tell them just about anything. I'm not suggesting you do that. But you can just tell them just about anything. This is what Jesus wants you to do. And they'll go, all right. I'm in. Why? Because they're in love with Jesus. And so when you're in love with someone, you want to please that someone. But over time, you know, we get, listen, religion becomes more important than relationship. And we confuse the two. And I think the devil's perfectly content to confuse your heart with religion over relationship. And in time, one day you wake up and you just realize, I'm not as close to God as I used to be. Or I don't have the passion for God or the desire for God like I used to have. My heart has grown cold. I don't want it to be cold, but God doesn't seem to speak to me. Uh, God doesn't seem to convict me like he did. I, I don't seem to have this great love for the things of God like I used to. What is that? My heart has grown cold. This battle for your affection has gone on and it's, it, it's pulled at you to the point that finally the devil says, okay, I'll let you think religion is the same thing as walking with God. And before long, our hearts are cold. We have what one guy uh, labeled, labeled it as post-salvation blues. We just kind of just keep going through the motions. Now, I just want to say to you that this morning, what Jesus is trying to say to Peter is that, Peter, if you want to fulfill the mission, you want to carry on the mission, you want to carry out the mission, love is going to have to motivate you. You're going to have to love me. Not because Jesus needed to know that, because Peter needed to know that. You love me right now, and Peter did love him. And by the way, Peter continued to love him. Peter would die upside down on a cross uh, christian history tells us he would be crucified upside down and the reason he was crucified upside down is he said i'm not worthy to even die the way my savior did he loved him he loved him all the way but jesus is trying to help him peter's getting exasperated you and i probably would too if jesus keeps asking us this question but he wants to, uh, us to understand that love must be the uh, the the passion that pushes us to serve god because when life gets tough, if you're, not, if you're not in love with Christ, you'll be tempted to toss it. You'll be tempted to say, I can't do this. And there are some of you who are close to that probably who are watching, listening uh, to this by, by live stream or television or, or in this audience. You're close. There's something going on right now. And the devil's trying to use it to embitter your heart against God instead of help you continue to trust God because he's trustworthy and you love him. So Jesus gives Peter this purposeful challenge. <clears throat> Peter, feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. If you love me, do this. 
You see, your mind and your heart are connected. Your mind and your heart are connected. And the things that control your mind will be eventually the things that control your heart. That's why Paul writes and says in Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your your mind. Because there's a connection between these two. And whatever you set your mind on will eventually control your heart. Paul also writes in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, set your affection on things above, not on things below. Why is that? Because if your affections are set on things below, your heart will pull you to things below. Does that make sense? Because your mind and your heart are connected. So that's why we transform our mind. We renew our mind. We renew it with the truth. Let me say it another way. The things that you're passionate about will control the things you pursue. See, the love connection again, the heart connection thing. The things you are passionate about will control or dictate the pursuits of your life. And so Jesus keeps asking, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Not because Jesus was insecure and needed to know, but because he needed Peter to understand that love is the thing, love for God is the thing that's going to get you through the purpose and the mission for which you've been created. And so, to really follow Jesus, you have to live out the purpose of God for your life. And that's connected to the next thing, the second thing I want you to see this morning. And that is that Jesus also points to a pointless comparison by Peter. Look at verse 21. Now, I'll give you some context here in just a second. But when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, now him, who is the him that Peter saw? The him that is spoken of there that Peter saw is John. John the Apostle, okay? And, and, and here's what we know. At some point in time, Peter and Jesus are, are taking this walk. And, and this conversation is happening. And it indicates that John is following back there. Perhaps all the disciples were following back there, but John is following. And so Jesus just says this to Peter. Peter, when you're older, you, somebody's going to address you, and you're going to go where you don't want to go, and you're going to stretch out your arms. He was talking about it. he would be crucified, and you're going to and you're going to die. And so Peter knows what Jesus has just told him. He's told him how he was going to die. And by the way, it's interesting. He says how he'll bring glory to God. Listen, live your life so it brings glory to God when you die. That's just a footnote. And so he says that to Peter. And so Peter, how would you react if you got that kind of news? Oh, okay. You know what Peter does? He does what a lot of us would do. He he stops, he looks around, there's John behind him. He said, what about him? If you're going to give me bad news, do you have some bad news for him too? You know, and that's how we are, aren't we? I mean, we don't really wish something bad on somebody, but at the same time, we don't think, if, if, if I've got to endure something bad, maybe if somebody else does too, I'll feel a little bit better about it. And that's exactly what Peter's doing here. He's saying, how about him? It, tell me some bad news about John so I can feel better about the, uh, the, the bad news you've given me. Do you know what the, you know what the ugly stepsister of comparison is? It's envy. And and here's why. Because when you start making comparisons with other 
you'll get envious. And when you get envious, guess what you'll do? You'll make comparisons with others. It's, it's like a, an ugly stepchild. Joseph Epstein, an article I, I, I read from the Wall Street Journal, said that one of the, uh, of the seven deadly sins, only envy is the one that's no fun. And he says there's plenty of research to back it, back it up. Psychologists have found that envy decreases life satisfaction and depresses well, uh, our well-being. Goes on to say, envy is positively correlated with depression and neuroticism. And the hostility that envy breeds may actually make uh, a sick physically. Recent work suggests that envy can help uh, explain our complicated relationship with social media. It goes on to say it often leads to destructive social comparison. So you know what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is making clear that we are not to compare ourselves with others. And this is what he says. So Jesus' response is when Peter says, what about him? You just told me about me. What about him? And Jesus says, what's that to you? What does him have anything to do with you? And he says, it may be my will for him to remain until I return. That's, that's irrelevant to you. That's what Jesus was saying to him. Now listen, don't miss that. That is true for you and for me. And too often our lives are controlled by what, God, what, you, what we think God ought to be doing in somebody else's life or what God is not doing in somebody else's life. And what Jesus is saying, I designed you uniquely and you need to focus on what I've designed you to do and quit focusing on what others are doing or not doing. Now I'm going to tell you something, I lift a heavy burden off of you. If you get to the place where you say, I'm going to be who God has created me to be, and I'm going to pursue the mission that God has given me, and I'm going to stop worrying about, are they pursuing it, or are they going to have the same, or face the same circumstances I'm facing? And what the devil loves to do is get us in this incredible comparison game. And we'll, and we'll do this sometimes. We'll, we'll have spiritual pity parties. Have you ever had a spiritual pity party? You know what happens? That's when you start comparing yourself. And you start going, well, God, you know, what about them? What about, th here I am, God, I'm so humble and I'm so noble and I'm so spiritual and everything, God. And it just seems like everything keeps going wrong in my life. And there, they don't hardly care about you and nothing seems to go bad for them. Everything's always good for them. Why, God, am I having to endure what I'm having to do? Why are my circumstances the way they are? Why, are, God... Why don't you make their circumstances like my circumstances so at least I can relate to somebody? Why is it this way for me? And by the way, some of the great spiritual leaders of Scripture experience that. Elijah went and sat in a cave and he said, God, I'm the only one. Why is it not tough for everybody else? After he had just called down fire out of heaven. Think about that. God, it's just me. Poor me. And he sat there in the cave and he had to listen to God speak to his heart. But if we're not, he said, God, I'm the only one. And God finally told him, he said, no, you're not. He said, I have hundreds of people that haven't bent the knee. But see what the devil does? He'll even take the good things of God that are going on in your life and cause you to turn them and think, look at, the, look at all the bad stuff in my life. Look at all that, that's gone wrong in my life. Why, doesn't, uh, why don't other people have to battle the things that I have to battle? That's what comparison starts doing. And Jesus makes it clear. We're just not, we're just not to compare ourselves with others. 
The story goes that at a Comdex Computer Expo, Microsoft's founder, Bill Gates, some years back, made this statement. He said, if General Motors had kept up with technology like the computer industry has, we would all be driving $25 cars that get 1,000 miles per gallon. That's what Bill Gates said. If, you know, if the uh, automobile industry kept up the way the computer industry has. $25 cars, he said, 1,000 miles a gallon. Well, General Motors didn't let it slide. They responded. This is true. They responded. General Motors responded to Gates by releasing a statement of their own in which they said, yes, that may be true, but would you want your car to crash twice a day? You see, the fact is, it just doesn't make sense to compare. It just doesn't make sense. In fact, Paul writes and says, they that compare themselves among each other are not wise. Why is that? It's because, what is that to you? That's what Jesus was saying. What they're doing or what they're not doing, what they should be doing, what they they shouldn't be doing, what is that to you? You follow me. That's what Jesus said. Don't compare yourself. Peter, don't compare yourself to to John. John has another mission. It's a different mission than yours. I put you here for this purpose. I put him here for that purpose. Live your purpose. And there's a great relief when when we get it, when we get that. Frankly, it alleviates the faulty practice of trying to be something that we are not designed to be, trying to be like somebody else or like something else when God says, that's not what I've created you to be. Now, now listen, I'm not saying, there, there's nothing wrong with, with uh, being mentored by others. There's nothing wrong from uh, 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 learning from others. There is nothing wrong with applying the teaching of others. But here's what we have to resist, people. We have to resist the temptation to mimic others. Because God created you unique. Be who you are, but be who you are, fully devoted to Christ. And that's a personal matter. Because when we compare ourselves with others, it's just engaging in a pointless activity. Do you get what Jesus was saying to Peter? It doesn't matter about John. Stop focusing on John. Instead, you focus on the two things I've given you. In Peter's case, it was, it, it, it was to look after the sheep and to feed the sheep. To feed and lead the sheep. Look after that. And then, then there's one final thing that I want you to see that Jesus teaches us here. And that is, note, he issues a personal command to Peter. Verse 19 and verse 22, he, uses this, he makes this statement to Peter in the end, you follow me. You follow me. Now, in the Greek, that's in the imperative. And it's not only imperative, it's emphatic. Now, here's what I mean by an imperative is a command. So when Jesus says to Peter, what is that to you, what John does or doesn't do? You follow me. Separate that stuff out and you follow me. See, it's personal. You get that? It's personal. You follow me. And it's a command. So he says, this is a command to you, and it's emphatic. It's not like, hey, Chuck, follow me. It's Chuck, you follow me. And it's not, it's not ugly, it's not anger, it's emphatic. 
In other words, Jesus wants us to get it. You follow me. If, listen, if no one else in the world follows me, you follow me. By the way, if you were the only person in the world, he would have died for you. So on the, by the same hand, on the same hand, we would say, then I must follow him. And that's what Jesus is he's issuing this personal command to Peter and by extension to all the followers of Christ. Woodrow Kroll said, when it comes to God's commands, the issue is not clarity, it is commitment. You know, God wants you to know what He wants you to do. God wants you to know His Word. He wants you to, to know His commands. So God's not playing some cosmic, cosmic guessing game. I've got some things I want you to know, but you've got to find them. You've got to put the Rubik's Cube of your life together. He wants you to know. He wants you to know what His commands are. That's why we have this book, thank God for that, because it tells us so we don't have to have played this mysterious cosmic game of trying to find uh, what, the, 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 what, what God's direction is, what God's will is. God says, I, I will make it known to you, but you've got to, you've got to sell out. It's personal. It's like Jesus is saying this, this is specific to you, each of us individually. It was with Peter. Jesus' command to Peter is specific to Peter. Jesus' command to you is specific to you. Jesus' command to Ray is specific to Ray. But all of it is in line with His Word and His truth. And that's how you can know it's from God. God is never going to call you to live outside the boundaries that He's established in His Word or His truth. Now, you know, I, I spoke a moment ago. I said, uh, it may be that your heart has grown cold. That's not uncommon. So if your heart has grown cold, you might say, well, well so what do I do about that? Well, first you've got to figure out how to desire to have a, a heart full of love again for Christ, right? So, I mean, the preacher can stand up here and say, you've got to love God again. And, and that's true. But how do you get there? Well, I've been there. I've been there. And there are times in my life and times in my ministry when I, I realize, God, I, I don't love you like I'm supposed to love you. Keep doing the right things. Keep going through the motions. And it, it, you know, but I'm, I'm not doing it because I love you. I'm doing it because it's right. Now, that's not the worst thing in the world. But the motive that will sustain us is that we love Him. And that love is the result of relationship, as I talked about. Now you say, so how do I do that? How do I do that? My heart has grown cold. There's some people listening to me by, by television. There are people in this audience right now, and your heart has grown cold. And you know it. I don't know who you are, but you know it. And right now, God is whispering to your heart and saying, would you get this? Would you get this? How do you soften your heart again? How do you return to a heart of love? I want to tell you what I learned years ago, and it transformed me. When I feel that kind of callous uh, heart when I, when I recognize, God, my heart is growing hard, here's what I learned to do years ago. I would begin to pray uh, something new. And I, I remember when I started, the first thing I would say is, God, I need a desire. And you know what? I got honest with myself and I realized I had no desire to love God. I knew, you know, there's nothing worse than being beat down with the guilt of saying, I know I'm supposed to love God, but I don't. I may obey God, but I don't. It'd be so much easier if I love God. And when I, when I find myself in that place, I begin to pray something. I begin to pray, God, would you give me a desire to love you? 
Let's start there. Now, I'm not going to stand here this morning and say, and as soon as I make that prayer, I'm overwhelmed by a new passion for God. No, but I, I, I tell you, I had to back up beyond that because I, I realized at that same point in time that I didn't even have a desire to desire to love God. Y'all ever been there? Y'all quit looking at me like Pharisees. <laughs> you ever been there? And you knew it. And so I began to pray this, Lord, I just need to go so far back. I need to ask you to give me a desire to even have a desire to love you. And when I reduced it back like that, I got, I got to square one. And that's where, when I began to find out that that moves me to desire. And then praying, God, now, God, I do have a desire to love you, then then that leads me back into a new kind of passion for God. And sometimes it's a, you didn't get here overnight, you don't get back overnight generally. Hello? And so you stay with it because the devil will start whispering in your heart and saying, you, you've blown it, you, you can't get back there, but you can. And some of you watching today and some of you in this building today, that's where you need to start. You need to back up and say, God, give me a desire to have a desire. And then you need to say, God, I'm going to stop trying to be what I'm not, and I'm going to be all of who I am for you and your glory. And that's going to lift a burden off of you. I'm just telling you, it's going to lift a burden off of you. We got too many copycats. God didn't create you to be a copycat. He created you to be an original. Just look around this building. We're all so different. And it's a good thing. And so you don't have to be something you're not. You don't have to be someone that you're not. In fact, you're going to lose a lot of sleep in your life if you spend energy worrying about what others are not doing and should be doing in relation to God. You're going to lose a lot of sleep worrying about everybody else. Stop it. Let God handle that. Let God handle that. And... Frankly, it doesn't have to be your focus. Your focus is, God, <clears throat> I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, as the psalmist said. So here I am. I present all of me to, to you, God. You use me for the purposes uh, that you have designed me. God, show me those purposes. I've had two people in this past week come to me, and it was about ministry kinds of stuff that they believe God was leading them toward, and God had in both cases, is pretty clearly spoken. They told me about the scriptures that God had given and how He had moved in their hearts and these things. And they said, what, what's the next step? I said, the next step. I said, I, I know you came for great, incredible spiritual wisdom from the pastor. So here it is. The next step is say, yes, Jesus. Just say yes. Just start right there. Quit worrying about how is this going to look? What does this mean? How do I pull this off? It's not about you pulling anything off. It's just about you simply saying, God, if, if, if this is what you've designed me to do, if this is what you've gifted me to do, if this is what you've been doing, and if this is how you've been putting the pieces in place so I would do this and I could follow this, then all you do is simply say yes. You say yes, I received that. You say, well, what's after yes? I said, he'll show you. Yes means I take the first step. Yes, Lord, I receive it. And I said, when he shows you, reveals more light, say yes again. And yes again as he does. And what you'll do is you'll get into the groove and the way 
of God for your life. You'll get there. And you won't have to be focused about what are they doing. Should I be doing what they're doing and doing it like they're doing it? or what? No, no. You'll find out this is who I am. This is what God has designed me. And guess what? Do you know what else happens? A byproduct of that? You start falling in love with Jesus. Because you start going, I'm doing what I'm created to do. I'm doing what I'm designed to do. And you say, you mean like you, Pastor? No, I mean like you in whatever the place it is. And in whatever way God wants to do, you just, your responsibility is to say yes. Your responsibility is to say, Jesus, you got all of me. It's personal. It's personal. I told you at the beginning, it's purposeful, right? Never forget that God created you for purpose. What an incredible compliment. What happens with that purpose is up to you. Because God has the purpose. I know the plans I have for you. That's what he, uh, he told the people of God in Jeremiah. It's purposeful. And it was purposeful. Peter, if you love me, do this. It's also practical. He told Peter, he said, feed my sheep. Uh, feed my sheep. That's practical. He, he, uh, this, now, he didn't literally mean go into the sheep pen and start feeding physical sheep. It was euphemistic. But he was saying, there, there are going to be some sheep brought under your care. And here's what I want you to do. There, there are two practical things that those sheep are going to need. They're going to need spiritual nourishment and spiritual leadership. And so, yeah, that's practical, Peter. And I've, I, you have the ability to, listen, what God has created you for, God has equipped you to do. So whatever it is, whatever that, that role is, whatever that part of your mission is, and, and, and by the way, I want to be careful to say, because when we use these terms purpose and mission and all of those things today, we tend to, to expand those into some uh, incredible platform that God is going to... It may be a platform that no one on this, in this world ever sees or knows in your life, but God knows. Because with God, there are no little places... And there are no little people. And, and so, now, people around you may never know that you're living out of the purpose in terms of because of the size of platform you have. You understand what I'm saying? God may have created you for, for, uh, for a mission that goes under the radar. But it's just as important as anybody else's mission because it's a God mission and it will make a difference if you live it out. One day when we get into the eternal kingdom, you're going to go, wow, that's what the purpose, that's what my mission was all about, wow. So, and so it has practical implications right now and whatever he's created you for, he will equip you for. And I close by telling you again, it is personal, it's personal, it's personal, it's personal. He says, in fact, circle this word in verse 19 and then again in 22. You follow me. You follow me. It doesn't matter if no one else does. You follow me. Because with this command comes a personal response that only you can make. I said at the beginning, I say it again at the close. I can't follow him for you and you can't follow him for me. But we are both expected and commanded to fully follow him. It's been said that uh, many Christians stall out in their faith when the call of total commitment 
is given or viewed as something too high or too hard for them to acquire. Or they, they stall out in their faith because they've never been taught that total commitment is Christ's demand to all of His followers. Now listen, you say, that's hard to do, Pastor. I know it's hard to do. That's why He sent the Holy Spirit. And He said that. He said, I'm going to send the Spirit, the Helper, the Paraclete, the one who comes alongside you to help you to live out. In fact, that's why, that's why Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem until you have received. We sing about tongues of fire and the power of the Holy Spirit falling. Um, he says, wait there until you're endowed with power. Why? Because they couldn't live out the mission without the power. And neither can you. You can't live out the surrendered life to Christ without power the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and many Christians or many of those who confess to be Christians I probably ought to say it that way many who confess stall out in their faith because when they start recognizing that Jesus really calls us to a life of complete surrender and commitment the price is just too high for them to pay There's an occasion in the New Testament where Jesus is teaching. It says his disciples. Disciples were not just the twelve. Those are what we call the apostle disciples. But there were others that followed him, a lot of others that followed him. And on one occasion, he's teaching them. And what he says to them is so so difficult for some of them to swallow when it comes to following him. It says, and many disciples turned and walked with him no more. I can't go that far. I can't sell out like that. That's what it amounted to and they turned and they walked with him no more Jesus calls for utter and complete commitment but here's what gets you there now okay it is a love relationship and the power of the Holy Spirit applied to our knowledge and understanding of what we've been created for and how we've been created And so those things working together help us to live our lives without regard to how other people around us are living. That doesn't mean, by the way, you sanction uh, garbage. That's not what it means. But it means that our focus is on living out of the purpose God has given to us. So why Paul said, I forget what's behind me and I press forward to the prize of the high call in Christ Jesus. It's why the writer of Hebrews says, let us run the race, the personal race, by the way, that is marked out for us, keeping our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's why it's personal. Your race, my race, but both of us focused on Jesus Christ. And with the power, here's the good news, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can run the race. You know what the hope of America is? Listen, the hope of America is not vaccines. Time out. I have no problem with vaccines. Okay, so don't walk out. Guard your mouth when you walk out. But the hope of America is not in vaccines. The hope of of America is not in government. I don't care what party you're in. They're all gifted at making a mess of it. 
The hope of America is not in government. Listen, the hope of America is not in the economy. You know what the hope of America is? Now listen. The hope of America is a spirit-filled church. And a spirit-filled church requires spirit-filled followers of Christ. Spirit-filled followers of Christ. And so if we're going to make a difference in the world through the church, we must be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? This morning, is it personal to you? So personal, so personal that God can accomplish His purpose through your life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Let me close with this story. Lord Kenneth Clark, an internationally known scientist, and particularly known for his television series, Civilization. He lived and died without faith in Christ. But he admitted that in, in his autobiography that while he was visiting a, this a beautiful church, he had what he said to be an overwhelming encounter with God. And he wrote, and I quote, My whole being was irradiated by a kind of heavenly joy far more intense than anything I had known before in this encounter with God. But listen, he goes on, and he says, But the flood of grace, interesting terminology, that he described, he said it created a problem. Because if he allowed himself to be influenced by this encounter with God and this flood of grace, he knew it meant he would have to change his life. And he thought, my family might think I've lost my mind. And maybe the intense joy that I felt in that moment in the presence of God would prove to be just an illusion. And so this is what he concluded, and I quote, So I concluded I was too deeply embedded in the world to change my course. Now, friend, this morning, I want to ask you, are you too deeply embedded in the world to change your course? Has your heart grown cold because you've been pulled by by too many things uh, on, uh, in this world, under the prince and power of this world, that's caused your heart to grow cold instead of surrendering to Christ and saying, I surrender all. Personally following Jesus requires a personal response. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one looking about in this place. And I, I, I just want to I, I, I ask you, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Have you only had a religious encounter, a religious experience, but never, never truly had a relationship with Christ? I'm convinced the devil would love just to keep you religious instead of related. And this morning you can change all of that. Those of you who are joining us on live stream and Right here in the live audience, you can call out to him. 
the scripture says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you know what you do? You know how to change and move from religion to relationship. You call on him sincerely from your heart. You can pray a prayer right now, wherever you are, you can say something like this in your heart to Jesus. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you died for my sins. And I don't want to live religiously. I want to live related. I want to be one of your children. I want to be like those disciples where you stood on the shore and you called out to my children, my children. This morning, call on him. I want to be a child. I receive you. I invite you to come into my life right now. Be my Savior, my Lord, and my Master. I want to tell you with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to tell you, he hears that prayer. Jesus said, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Some of you are here, and you know your heart has grown cold. You didn't want it to. You didn't mean for it to. And you've lost that personal connection. You had not lost Christ. You just lost the personal connection. Why don't you change that? Why don't you reconnect in a new way? Why don't you say to him this morning, Lord, I thank you that you are my Savior, but I've lost my first love. I've been trying to live for you without the power that you've supplied. Lord, empty me of me and fill me up afresh and anew with the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, give me a desire just to desire to love you and follow you. Lord, show me your purpose and show me your mission. Thank you that you care about me. Lord, would you hear these prayers this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And I want to give you an invitation. That's what it is. It's an invitation. An invitation means I'm inviting you to do something. If you prayed that prayer to trust Jesus as your Savior, would you slip out in just a moment, the balcony and this ground floor, would you come and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer to trust Christ. Or somebody on the aisle will have staff on the aisles, Chase and Chuck over here. And, and just come to one and say, that's what I did. If you're watching by live stream, you can just text us the word Pastor, P-A-S-T-O-R, to that number, 334-384-8080. Just word, we'll take it from there. Maybe you're here in this place this morning and say, I need a church home, a church family. I want to join Ridgecrest. You can come and just you know, say, I, I know Christ, but I'm coming to join. Text that word if you're watching by live stream. Join. We'll take it. We'll handle it from there. You Come and pray. Many of you will want to come and, and just kneel before the Lord and say, I just need to talk to the Lord. I, 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 there's something I'm praying about. There's a decision. There's something, someone I'm praying for. Whatever it may be, you slip out. You come on. Whatever that decision is important this morning, that you obey his voice. Would you do that? As Bradley leads us, you slip out. You come on right now. Come on, pray. Come make your decision, whatever that may be.